before Rick speaks, I want to till the soil just a little bit. It's, it's no accident that our memories are wired to stash away stories for easier recall. The sacred wisdom texts of the world contain stories that get told over and over again, wearing a healthy groove in the psyche of each listener. The cautions and lessons from these stories are easier to retrieve and long-lived. Everyone here likely knows the story of the Good Samaritan. Thousands of years later, that tale still serves as a reminder to help those who are different from ourselves. So telling stories is what we do with and for each other in church. We reveal small parts of ourselves. We commiserate with a narrative. Our church and congregations sing stories. My preaching contains countless stories. So last night we had a spectacular evening. The newly, relatively newly formed stewardship committee pulled out all the stops to coordinate a memorable night to kick off the annual pledge drive. Thanks to all who made it happen. I'm still full. It's a problem. And what we did is we told stories over the incredible feast and drink. As Eli Wiesel, the Romanian Holocaust survivor, teacher and author who wrote 57 books, says, people become the stories they hear and the stories they tell. A great English teacher of English at Swarthmore College, the late Harold Goddard, wrote in his book, The Meaning of Shakespeare, the destiny of the world is determined less by the battles that are lost and won than by the stories it loves and believes in. What world of stories do we at Hope Church love and believe in? We're going to spend the next few weeks exploring familiar and new stories about ourselves. You will get to hear stories from Hope members as well as some incredible guest ministers. You will not want to miss the Sundays that Chuck Freeman and Diana Davies are in the pulpit. Trust me. And I'll be in the mix. Today we have someone who is both an insider and an outsider. Rick Eagleton grew up in this church and now returns as an adult. And he brings stories of the past mingled with fresh eyes seeing who we are today and who we can become. He serves on Hope's Board of Trustees and is our VP of Finance. And he has inspired stories to help us find our best selves. And the very first story is his autobiographical description. He understands the value of a good story. After helping the guys from NASA get Apollo 13 to the ground, seven-year-old Ricky opened his first orphanage teaching every man should live humbly as if in the shoes of Jesus. The rest of his life has been equally unremarkable. (laughs) After he was asked by his parents to leave the state for college, he achieved his degrees of economics and English from Vanderbilt, 
Although it's not clear that industrious Rick ever bothered to finish his English degree, once accepted into law school. After school, he continued his life of high crimes and misdemeanors for the last 30 years as an attorney. His mother, Norma, and girlfriend, Jennifer, find him incorrigible. His children are just as baffled. He is still vertical. (laughs) And our VP of Finances asked me to mention that none of the charges have ever stuck, and that his record is spick and span spotless of even a whiff of financial fraud. I give you Rick Eagleton. Welcome, friends. With all that goes on outside these walls, it's a nice thing to be able to say we are friends. Each Sunday, we say to each other, we are forever bound in community. Some of you I have known my whole life. Most are relatively new acquaintances of mine, but with whom I am fortunate to be able to share a common and growing bond. We all have a journey that brings us to this place. So that you'll know a little bit about me, I'll tell you something of mine. I grew up in this church. Imprinted in my spiritual muscle memory is Fred Lipp, our first minister, standing on a clearing of this hill 50 years ago on a crisp Easter morning, holding a new lamb, so vulnerable like us. Even before this glorious building was built, I remember our celebrations, kite-flying Sundays, sharing food and joyous music, the giving and receiving of love and peace. And in all that, together, we were purposeful in the pursuit of meaning. Purposeful in the pursuit of meaning. The bounty of that young church is the bounty which sustains me again, as it was then, as it is today. While raised here, I did not begin here. I was baptized a Methodist. When I was very young, my mother, who was a Sunday school teacher at Boston Avenue Methodist Church, became very concerned about the struggle for civil rights and the kids our country was sending off to Vietnam. While attending Boston Avenue, she secretly started visiting all souls. (laughs) Inspired by a young minister, a young outspoken minister named John Wolfe, She believed him to be a courageous and inspirational leader when it was not popular nor safe to be so. It was not long after that we attended All Souls as a family, a conversion which I gather was a bit difficult to explain to friends and family. Around that time, John Wolfe had the vision that this town needed another Unitarian church, one out south. He asked some of his sturdiest members to build a new church, not himself believing it purposeful, to just continue to grow bigger and bigger. Shortly after that, my family ended up here with the others, sharing in the dream of building a church. So many folks scrimped and saved, stretched and hoped in the possibilities of what might happen on this beloved hill. And it did happen from love and purposeful sacrifice. 
I remember as a boy the fun years of running up and down those stairs and hiding with my best friend, Mark Stone, from our parents when it was time to leave. There are wonderful places in this church to hide. <laughs> hiding from your parents is purposeful. <laughs> Some things never change. Reverend Bill Gold was spiritual guide and friend to my parents, as is dear Kathy, to me and so many of you. One time Bill told my father it hurt his feelings that Dad never came into the sanctuary for the sermon, always sitting in Fellowship Hall drinking coffee. You see, my father's journey started as a Presbyterian, being compelled every Sunday against his will to sit down and shape up in the large sanctuary of their downtown church. Wise as Bill Gold was, upon learning this, he installed speakers to pipe in the service for Dad <laughs> and the others like Dad. You may look up to the ceiling when you leave here. The very speakers remain today. Your journey may be like mine coming back home, or it may be more like my mother's seeking a new place, or my father's moving away from something. But here we are all together, in community, you and I. Decades have passed, the torch has passed, it has passed to us. Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote in his essay on experience, we live amid surfaces, and the true art of life is to skate well on them, to finish the moment, to find the journey's end, in every step of the road, to live the greatest number of good hours is wisdom. Apparently, we got the message. Every week, we sing the words of David M. Glasgow. We are here, t here together in this holy moment, and we're grateful for the winding road that brought us to this place. I am the vice president of finance this year. Now, how I got on the board may be instructive to you. One Sunday morning, minding my own business, Saturday morning, minding my own business, still snoozing, did I mention minding my own business? I received a call from a board member who shall go nameless. She knows who she is, but I won't out her here. She may raise her hand if she wishes. That would be the, that would be the decent thing to do. Anyway, she and the other board members must have been way down the list to call me. But they asked me to be VP Finance. I had never had any particular role in this church. I think I heard VP, which sounded to a groggy guy as assistant or entry level, and didn't really pay attention to the finance part. I figured if they were calling me, they were really in a bind, but wouldn't dare put me in charge of anything important. <laughs> Under this misimpression, I said, sure, why not? There are several lessons in this. First, beware of answering your phone on Saturday mornings. <laughs> Second, if figure if the church has a scary-sounding role to fill, they will call it something vague and ask you when you are in a vulnerable state. <laughs> but third, be glad when you say yes, because you won't know what I now realize, and that being how very much meaning and purpose one may discover in such service. 
You see, the most unexpected part of being more involved in the church has been getting to know so many other members of the church. As a domestic relations trial attorney, much of my daily life is spent in verbal combat, emotional stress, by necessity putting me in the roles of skeptic and cynic after decades of it without even realizing it. I think those professional necessities tended to slide into my personal attitudes so that I could approach new acquaintances through that same strange lens, a prism that I walked around with, distorting in a way my perception of those around me. It's funny that after so many years, I somehow forgot that a church community is different and safer than so much of the other parts of our challenging lives. I've been reminded After about two or three meetings on the board, I realized that this church could fill a need I barely knew I had and was the catalyst for some personal restoration. It reminded me that there are good and decent and purposeful people right in front of me. I have described the folks I've served with and met in this congregation as earnest. I am reminded of the potential for goodness in people who sincerely want to make the world a better place. We've all pledged to do this together. So I'm hoping you might consider volunteering as well, maybe even being part of a committee. Right now, most committees need volunteers, and several have chairperson positions, which remain unfilled. It is truly a gift, and your church needs you. All those things we do for others and ourselves. My goodness, the people of this church have the capacity. We're good. As an aside, I like food. And we... And we have food-centered social activities you can come to and even join in to help cook. It's fun, and you can meet folks. In fact, a team of us assembled yesterday to prepare the stewardship dinner, that full-blown Lebanese meal. And on on May 4, we will have the big church barbecue with the big rusty smoker right out there in the parking lot. Remember, your church needs you. Your chef needs you. (laughs) Lebanese food and barbecue are purposeful. But even for those of you who never eat food, there are too many ways to count to meet other people in this church, and they want to get to know you. Before I spent time learning more of this church, I saw what goes on here more like looking out out the window of an airplane. From up high, we can see farms and roads and schools, and yes, churches. But from such distance, we don't much see what really happens from the hard work inspiration and financial sacrifice of kind people trying to make a difference. I gather that's what I'm supposed to speak of today. As VP Finance, it is my job to oversee the finances of the church, such as budgeting and long-term planning, and including the critically important pledge drive on which last night we embarked. I admit, I used to see church pledging as a sort of guilt-based proposition kind of like listening to public radio in the morning and then being guilted into a a pledge. (laughs) But I see things differently now, and I thought I might share how. Before I started serving, I didn't really know what the money went for. Pledging was a bit of an abstraction. The first thing I noticed when I got on the board was shocking to me how little we have to work with and how much we do with it. With the money we give, the church employs two full-time employees and three part-time employees with other paid staff, such as those providing daycare. 
We pay all the utilities and maintenance to sustain a large aging church and log cabin. We run adult and RE departments, put on countless in-church programs, and spearhead a number of outreach programs and support social activities. We spend money trying to be good stewards of the earth, such as obtaining and promoting our Green Sanctuary accreditation and maintaining these beautiful grounds. We bring in speakers, musicians, and presentations and support and intern. And amazingly, we continue to look for things which should be done. I have heard so many times, wow, what a good cause. We need to find a way to do that one. Remember, we give away our plate, not because it makes things easier, but because it is right and just and makes a difference in people's lives. In my professional work, I know a thing or two about how much it costs to run a business and pay expenses. I could not imagine that we could do, frankly, with so little. Now, I've had a bit of change of heart. I consider it more of a priority to find a way to contribute each year, maybe even increasing when I can. I get much out of giving what I can because it makes a difference for all of us and for others. And I hope you will consider this too, as with serving on committees, Your church needs your pledge, not a pledge out of guilt, but out of the recognition that in this community, among these good and decent people, we look only to ourselves, and we can make a difference. And in so doing, we can ourselves be enriched, just like when we began, because money is tight. We have to make hard choices, still sturdy, still scrimping and saving, stretching and hoping, together. With your pledge and your participation, you will meet a real need for the church and your friends and friends-to-be. And you might just realize that you have a need which may be filled. We here share a common bond with Emerson, Glasgow, and John Wolfe, Fred Lip, Bill Gold, and Kathy Edwards, but also with so many more. Being here, we are in community. We are in community with and beholden to so many who have entrusted us to carry on our common search for peace and truth. We say together, humbly. We build on foundations we did not lay. We warm ourselves at fires we did not light. We sit in the shade of trees we did not plant. We drink from wells we did not dig. We profit from persons we did not know. We are forever bound in community. Now, I made a big deal of explaining to you my enthusiasm to be able to spend my leisure and spiritual time with earnest people. I think I'll end my comments with a bit of earnestness myself. See, I started off with an Emerson quote. I was really just kind of showing off. I don't actually sit around reading Emerson. In truth, I'm a bit of an arrested adolescent. I love loud music, and Led Zeppelin is my favorite. So I think I'll bookend Emerson with a Zeppelin line from their song, Cashmere. Song from tongues of lilting grace, whose sounds caress my ear. The story became quite clear. Meaning, if we will just slow down long enough to open our ears and eyes and hearts, in so doing, we may receive peace and meaning through love. So in channeling Emerson and Zeppelin, this is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. 
My hope for you is a peace that's true until we meet again. And that's it, I suppose. Thank you, and may it be so. Thank you.